So what are your plans for Christmas? Staying in like everyone else. We're locked indoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, uh, my, my uh, wife went crazy with the decoration. So we, we have the house all done up, as does Patrick in the background there. Mm. Our tree is about an eighth of the size of that one there. But, uh, you know, we have, a, we have an apartment tree. So Yeah, I have a small one on my balcony. Um, my neighbors and I like to decorate. There's like a planter out front. It's really big, uh, but it's out front of like both of our apartments out here. And for Halloween, I decorated it a little bit. And then the neighbor kids came and added way more decorations. And so now it's like our combined effort out there uh, yeah, for cool. Christmas. But I barely put anything out for Christmas. They like overdid it. And <laughs> they uh, Jessica made them a wreath and they're super excited. So um, I think I might get them some presents and like make a little note from Santa or something for them. I like it. Yeah. I don't know. I know you, uh, I saw your work on Halloween and I enjoyed it. It was a very, uh, uh, very good attention to detail on the, uh, on what you had to work with. It was cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> My planter out there. Oh yeah. I try, you know? Yeah, no, it was nice. I liked it. The balcony looked good. The balcony looks really sad. Christmas wise, we have like one string of Christmas lights and <laughs> that's it. We bought one of those ones. that's like a net and we thought it was going to be way bigger, but it's like <laughs> so sad looking. So yeah, um, my plans for Christmas are yeah. to stay at home and be sad. Uh, I wanted to visit my parents, uh, but it doesn't look like I should do that. So I don't know what I'll do. What's your favorite, uh, your favorite Christmas movie? All of the other reindeer All by other. Matt Matt Groening from a, The Simpsons. Is a Christmas Carol for me? <clears throat> uh, is that a movie or is it an episode of The Simpsons? Uh, it's like a made-for-TV special. It's like an hour long. Uh, Drew Barrymore plays this dog that like wants to be a, or thinks she's a reindeer, and it's super cute. And it's a musical, and there's this penguin, and yeah, hmm. it's family friendly, so you could watch it with your kid but it's the I guy who did The Simpsons. So yeah, that's my favorite. Pat's yeah. his Muppet Christmas Carol because, you know, that's actually the best Christmas movie ever. So that's true, yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol, huh? Yeah. My nice. second, my second, however, would have to be Home Alone Part 2 would be my second favorite. Part 2, okay. Tim Curry's in it. Lost in it's, New York, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Who's in it? What Tim Curry. Oh, Tim Curry, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know who that is, right? Like, we can still be friends, right? Uh, is he a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania? <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> uh, if not, then it's a different guy I'm thinking of. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, you know, I mean, there's always the classic answers. So I, I'd probably say, I think Christmas Vacation is probably my favorite. Just, that's that's oh. definitely the favorite in my family. That's yeah, one, I mean, I know that's a go-to answer. Every year, yeah. Die Hard is a good answer. Mm-hmm. But, Die Hard, that's a good answer. I went... Like last Christmas, I went to see that in theaters with Kim. It was fun. Nice. My friend Kim. I I don't really have. We're there too. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget about me. Uh, I, I think though that my favorite like tradition to do is I'm not a big Christmas guy. I don't, don't, I'm not a big, huge fan of it. Um, But uh, what I do enjoy doing is that uh, usually on Christmas uh, Eve going in, I liked staying up really late and opening the presents like before Christmas morning. Uh, but then I usually have a nice big fat joint and then watch a, a Christmas horror movie. 
And that's what nice, I mean. nice. So I always try to find, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night, or you know, Krampus, whatever, you know, any kind of scary Christmas themed movie. I really try to find something new every year to watch. And I've seen, mm-hmm. well, I've done, I've seen probably at least a dozen or so, which is good. Cause I mean, how big can that genre be, you know, but I got to think about it. A good yeah, black Christmas, Christmas. And there's two versions of that. You got the original. What'd you think of the Krampus movie? I liked it. Uh, I actually, it was funny because um, the main character, he, his is like the hero of the movie. Mm-hmm. Also his grandmother, Omi. And that's, I called my grandmother growing up. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like a German born folk tale uh, in that, from that area, Bavaria, Germany, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And grandmother was from Germany. So we called her Omi. And so when I watched the movie, I saw that I was like, Oh, that's really cool. So I, I was a little jaded from that, but I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a monster movie. It's kind of goofy, but. No, I, th- I thought it was like, uh, I mean, I thought the, some of the CGI, like gingerbread men thing were kind of a little over the top, even for that type of movie. But mm-hmm. overall I thought it was yeah pretty well done. Yeah. I, it's not super memorable trying to remember what the, the plot is about. Right. That's what I was just thinking yeah. too. I'm like, uh, visually it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I, th- I remember it was like kind of haunting, you know, it was stalking them outside the house and stuff, but and that shit was cool. Yeah. Santa's, uh, Santa's sleigh, uh, was one of my favorite ones. Uh, that's S L A Y. Uh, Bill Goldberg, AKA Goldberg from the WWE. <laughs> Wait, yeah, that's awesome. And he plays Santa Claus and, uh, it is, that's a pretty awesome movie. I feel like I might've seen that. Yeah. It's worth checking out. It sounds familiar. Yeah. That's a fun one. Um, there's some famous people in it too, in the beginning, they all get, uh, get it right in the beginning. And you're like, Oh, there's a lot of big name actors in this part. <laughs> right? I gotta think, I'll think about it by the end of the podcast. I'll have a, a horror movie, Christmas horror movie for you. Yeah, let me know. I'll tell you if I've seen it or not. I've, you know, over the years, I've gotten quite a, a list going of people. Jeff's got some ideas in the comments here, but I'll bring them up at the end. Nice. Uh, yeah. So if anybody there listening knows any Christmas horror movies, help me out so I can tell Jameson because he can't read the comments, but I can. Because he doesn't have a Facebook. <laughs> Just say whatever you want about him. Right? You can talk about <laughs> shit. I'll never know. Um, awesome. Are we ready to go? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Are you going to play the song? Ooh. Just so you guys know, this song is actually four minutes and 14 seconds oh that's a long intro i don't think we need all that Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. We are our, we are guides for the Hollywood's Haunted tours in Hollywood, California, or shall I say former guides, because we're not guiding right now, but I'll put that in later. uh, (laughs) And we are here on Zoom together, seeing Jameson's beautiful face, which we haven't seen in quite some time, to discuss everything from hauntings and murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown. 
Uh, our host today are Jameson. He's over here for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Patrick. And Tia, that's me. Um, and that's it. So today we're going to do some uh, holiday Christmas stories, get into the Christmas holiday mood here. Christmas uh, spirit. Yeah, mine will probably kill everybody's right Christmas itself. spirit because um, it's <laughs> it's um, extremely sad. Um, <laughs> well, that's fine. Uh, yeah, Jameson, Tia's on the same page as you. She's not. She's not in the Christmas uh, spirit type. So my Ooh. holiday already passed. You yeah, know, in October. So I'm Halloween guy myself. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, actually, so um, I, I was uh, doing a bunch of research and I wanted to come up with some cool, dope ass Christmas story for you guys. Wasn't as successful as I thought because I found some cool, you know, you find like a really cool headline and you're like, oh my God, this must be the deepest story ever. Sometimes it's just like a horrible, horrible murder, you know, and that that's it. Um, so I'm going to kind of, I was talking to Tia earlier, I'm going to kind of bookend this episode. So I'm going to talk a little, just a little bit blip in the beginning, a little bit in the end. Um, but I wanted to talk about, since we were talking about like Halloween being your favorite, you know, holiday um christmas should be halloween like after doing all this research um because <laughs> the the real tradition of of um ghost telling you know ghost stories and stuff was usually done around christmas um and most people don't really know that because uh they really just think of it like you know the christmas carol you know like that's really kind of the only one but a lot of ghost stories were told around christmas time because christmas time was kind of a i mean Everybody knows it's a really depressing time. You, you know, what I mean? it's like it's sure. it's yeah. a very depressing time. You know, and like people, you know, we we glorify it and stuff with these traditions and stuff. But it's like throughout history, like especially back then, it's really cold. Uh, crops aren't growing. Nothing's growing. People are dying because it's really cold. You know, um, mm -hmm. so ghost, yeah, telling ghost stories has been like a long long tradition um even in the uh the song the most wonderful time of the year he talks about there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of christmases long long ago so like even even andy williams you know remembers the the, the old times even that though was that was nice that was 1963 you know but he's uh talking about you know christmas traditions yeah um but yeah it was it was mostly yeah because you know it was really really freaking cold and you kind of want to like <laughs> like what else was there to do but sit around the fire so then they're like all right well let's, let's just tell some ghost stories <laughs> you know sure um, and that's kind of just how it started um uh it's interesting because uh the before before this you know christmas was uh really controlled by a man named oliver cromwell who was a Puritan in the 17th century and a political leader. Um, he kind of used Christmas like a lot of people do as the, you know, he he didn't, um, sorry, he didn't use Christmas like people do. He, he was more of, um, he didn't like that people were, you know, frivolous and decadent and- What, what do you mean by controlled else. Christmas? Um, he He basically, eradicated that from English society by making people work through Christmas you know it was kind of like that was what society was made to do and this was until you know uh, Charles Dickens comes through with a Christmas carol and kind of 
points out the, you know, the whole story is about, you know, olden times of, you know, people working through like what's supposed to be an important tradition to, you know, these, these religious people. But of course the, it gets moved around from time to time. And uh, the whole thing is really based around the Yule holiday, not exactly Jesus and all that. It's like a pagan holiday. Exactly, yeah. Well, they took obviously a lot of stuff from the pagan religion and then used it on like that Christmas tree behind you there. That's a pagan ritual, but (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah. I'm so I'm curious as to like you were saying he controlled it. Was he like a was this in America or was this in England that he was? Um, No, this was yeah, like in early America. Like he was a Puritan, so this was yeah, 17th century. Okay. Um, so this, yeah, it wasn't, you know, necessarily controlled, but, you know, a lot of the society that um, he was in charge of, you know, there was, there was very, very much looked down upon to be celebrating Christmas when you should be working. Um, but then, it's funny you yeah. said that because uh, in my story, I found out that the Puritans actually banned Christmas in, Ma- in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They actually banned it. Outright. Interesting. That, I, I don't know realize, how for how long, but that fact came that. up. That, that's crazy. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't realize they were that much against it. That's wild. Um, but yeah, so apparently, yeah, Charles Dickens, uh, you know, Ebenezer is, you know, is based upon the, you know, that type of person. Uh, so Christmas Carol became a, an instant classic um, uh, because of that. Um, so basically, it, it lasted up until the um, uh, the end of the twentieth century. Uh, these telling ghost stories. Um, even Edgar Allan Poe had some, uh, tales and poems that were set in the, uh, bleak month of December, um, such as The Raven, one we watched, uh, recently. Um, but yeah, it basically stopped around the end of the 20th century. There was a lot, like a lot of, you know, when magazines were still huge in distribution, but most of the ghost stories that were printed in those magazines were during Christmas. Um, so that's kind of where it, uh, fizzled out, um, and kind of people have been bringing on their own customs, especially when the uh, Scottish and Irish immigrants started coming to America. They had their own customs and holidays, uh, one of which was actually Sam Hain, uh, which was uh, something um, Jeff, like the yeah, band? Jeff would know about. Yeah, I think Jeff is watching. Right? Like the band um, Sam Hain? Um, <laughs> wait, there's a band Sam Hain? Yeah, that's Danzig's original band. Oh, crazy. I didn't know that. Is it S-A-M-H-A-I-N? Yep. H-A-I-N. Yeah. Sam Hain was, uh, yeah, it's basically what we know now as Halloween. Um, okay. So, yeah, that would explain why they were. So, yeah. So, basically, all these traditions kind of, you know, blended over and Christmas kind of moved aside and became a, a different kind of different holiday. So, the cheap people don't necessarily tell ghost stories, you know, around that time, but you, you know, every year you do see, you know, a Christmas carol. Um, so it is still, still kind of still around. And even that book took a long time to take off. Like when he released that book, it was a flop. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And it, became, it took it became, like 20 it years a or something. Classic. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like maybe 20 and no 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while. And I mean, obviously now it's regarded as like the number one thing, but it like, it almost ruined him because he had come out with, I think a string of, you know, hits. And then he put that book out and everyone was like, what's this crap? Especially. Yeah. Cause they were like, you know, like kind of taking like a political stance on, 
on something, you know, was, was not a typical ploy of his. You know, something else I was that crossed my mind was that, you know, Dickens wrote that book in what, the mid 1800s, like 1840 or something like that? Uh, 1843. There you go. So yeah. think about when we were talking about like the rap sister or the, uh, the rap sisters. That, That's true. Yeah. You know, that was in the early forties of the 1840s and spiritualism grew in popularity. And by what, 1890, they said is when it really was like peak. And that's mm-hmm. when it seems that that plague got re- its resurgence, you know, 1843, 30 years, that's still like 1870, you know, and all of a sudden it, you, maybe I wonder if spiritualism had a big, uh, something to, to do with making that play or that book popular again. That's true. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, in, um, yeah, they talk about that. Yeah. The late 18 or 1890s, a few other books mentioning uh, ghosts or people gathering around the fire at Christmas for ghost stories. Um, so because of that, that's kind of one, another reason people um, state this as a fact that it was a thing to do, because now stories are being written about people doing that. So so it's kind of like history writing history sort of. Um, but that's kind of yeah how they know it was a big thing. But yeah, just kind of a little, little nod to Christmas Carol for you guys. That's uh, really cool. And, and on with the rest of the Oh, look at you. Good, sir. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll finish the episode with another little uh, Christmas murder. But um, yeah, what okay. do you guys got? Can I go I next? Heard, my I just heard gunshots sad, outside. Is that very Christmassy? What's up? <laughs> I just heard gunshots outside. Is that very Christmassy? Damn, man. It's going uh, Anyways. <laughs> um, Can I go next? Because mine's super sad and I don't want to end on a sad note. Mine's uh, really sad. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. If you're cool with it. Okay. Let's so I'm sad. doing the oh yeah i mean it's not like a tearjerker sad it's just like oh wow that's awful (laughs) it's awful uh so mine is the strange uh case of the solder family uh and just get right into it solder solder s-o-d-d-e-r solder family some of the members oh jeez solder family uh okay so my story uh takes place on christmas eve in 1945 in fayetteville uh oh which i believe is in new jersey i should have looked that up no hold on i know this we're gonna start over in a second here (laughs) i've heard of Uh, west virginia fayetteville west virginia not new jersey okay Anyways, edit that part out. So my story is the Sauter family. Uh, it, the story takes place. It's a true story, a true crime story that uh, takes place in 1945 and Christmas Eve in Fayetteville, West Virginia. So uh, the Sauter family house burnt down under some unusual circumstances. Not uh, four of the nine children of the Sauter family. Uh, escaped, but it is believed that the five remaining children may or may not have perished in the fire or or have been in the house at all while the fire was happening. Uh, Their children, uh, these right here, Maurice, who was 14, Martha, who was 12, Louis, who was 10, Jenny, who was eight, and Benny, who who was six, was never, ever seen again after this house fire that they had. Hmm. So 
We're going to start all the way from the beginning, and I'm going to talk about uh, George Sauter, the father who, uh, he came to the United States. Uh, he was born in 1895 in Sardinia, Italy, originally called Giorgio Sauter, uh, but changed his name to George when he came to America. Uh, he came over with his older brother, but uh, after they cleared customs at Ellis Island, his brother kind of got homesick and decided to go back to Italy. So mm. George was the only, as far as, I'm sorry, ugh, burping, it's that Lacroix, Lacroix. <laughs> um, George was the only one of the family that I could find that lived here in the United States. Everyone else was back in Italy. Uh, he was very friendly, but he never let anyone know why exactly he left Italy. Uh, he got a job in Pennsylvania working the rail, railroads, hauling supplies. And after a few years, he was offered a job as a driver with, this, with Smithers, West Virginia. Smithers? <laughs> saved up and eventually invested all his savings into his own trucking company. And from what I saw, they had a trucking company, but they also had a fruit stand. Their house was off of a main road and they had a fruit stand uh, that I guess they would just sell fruit from their property. Um, so he met Jenny Simpriani, uh, who was also an immigrant, and they settled in Fayetteville, the home to many Italian immigrants. They purchased a two-story timber-framed house two miles north of town. George and Jenny would have 10 children in total together, uh, starting with their first child in 1923. Uh, the family was known to be very friendly and well-respected. George, however, was very opinionated when it came to Mussolini, which was not well-liked. Uh, so in 1943, their oldest son was off serving in World War II when Mussolini was brought down in 1944. George's opinions uh, and criticisms on Mussolini were uh, even more unwelcome. So uh, in, on, in October of 1945, this is when like the strange things start to happen at their house, uh, which some of the things prior to the Christmas Eve fire, uh, we wouldn't think was too strange, but then after the fact, they started to kind of put two and two together, and there's like a lot that doesn't really add up. So uh, in October of 1945, uh, a life insurance a life insurance salesman knocked on George's door. Uh, and according to various sources, after uh, George declined his business, the man said to him, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have made about Mussolini. That's not a very good sales pitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, later on, another man looking for work uh, told George that the fuse box behind his house could cause a fire, but George told him that the electric company had rewired the house recently. And after the incident, he called the electric company, which reassured him that it was safe. And both him and the electric company were very puzzled why this 
guy was claiming that it wasn't working. So family just chalked it up to, oh, he's some sort of scammer. He's going to say it doesn't work so he can fix it and get money. Um, two days before the fire, uh, two of the surviving sons saw a man watching the younger Sauter children come home from school on Highway 21. So there was a man watching them get off the school bus and head home. Uh, on Christmas Eve, around uh, 12.30 a.m., the phone rang. So Jenny, the mother, got up out of bed to answer it. When she answered the phone, uh, she said she heard a voice of a woman that sounded famili familiar. Uh, she was laughing and clinking glasses. Uh, the woman seemed embarrassed and said it was a wrong number and hung up. Uh, Jenny noticed that the lights were still on downstairs. So earlier in the evening, Jenny had told her kids that were playing in the living room. They were anxious for Christmas the next day. She said, you guys can stay up if you want, but just remember to lock the door and turn the lights off before you go to bed. So at 1230, I mean, it's almost 1 a.m. She's woken up by this phone call, wrong number. Uh, she notices the lights are still on downstairs. The window, the curtains are pulled all the way open and the doors are not locked. So she locks, uh, locks the doors, uh, but I don't believe she turned the lights out. She left them on for some reason. Then she went back to sleep right as she was falling asleep around 1 a.m. She heard a large bang on the roof and the sound of something rolling off the roof. Hmm. Uh, about an hour later, she woke to the smell of smoke. So, uh, okay. Uh, so she wakes to the sound of smoke and, um, smell of smoke. Yeah. So <laughs> at 1am, George, sorry, I didn't hear. what did you say? <laughs> you said that you, she woke to the sound of smoke. Oh, I'm sorry. The smell of smoke. Okay. So, so at 1 a.m., George, Jenny, and the children, Sylvia, Marion, John, and George Jr. escape. Uh, out of the house, it isn't until they're fully out of the house that they realize that five of the children are not with them. Now, these five children shared two rooms uh, of their own in this house. And she had gone to the rooms and, like, yelled for them to get out of the house, but it's unclear whether or not she saw them physically in their rooms. Um, so George broke back into the house to try to save the rest of the children. Some reports say that um, the two oldest sons also tried to break back into the house, but the staircase was on fire. When he went outside to retrieve his ladder to get into the window, the ladder was missing. Both of his coal trucks which he wanted to use to pull up underneath the window to climb to the top of the coal trucks to get into the window. Both of his trucks were not uh, working for some reason. Uh, he tried to pump water, but the water was frozen. So Marion ran to the neighbor's house to call the fire department, but the operator didn't respond. So she, another neighbor uh, also tries to call, but they got no response from the operator. Uh, that neighbor drove all the way to town uh, and found the fire chief, F.J. Morris, 
But the fire department was only 2.5 miles away from the solder house. And the, fi- the firefighters didn't reach the solder house until 8 a.m. And by that time, yeah, by that time, the house was completely gone. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's about six, seven hours later, you know, and I mean, it is Christmas Eve, uh, but I, that's, to me, that's very strange. So, uh, so the remains of the five children were never found, uh, in this fire. Now, uh, F.J. Morris claimed that the fire must have been so hot that it completely cremated the children's bodies. But usually there are bone fragments found. Something. There was no smell of burning flesh before or after the fire. Uh, and um, they also found like household appliances in the ashes, which would have burned at a lower temperature than human bone. So some strange things happen. The coroner's office office said that the wire was faulty causing the fire. But like I said, Jenny saw that the lights were on when she woke up, which meant that there was no faulty wiring. Uh, also, the family claims that the lights were still on as the house was burning. So. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, immediately after the fire, um, the family pretty much believes that the children died in the fire. Um, it isn't until like maybe a few days later when some like, uh, other people in the town start saying some weird things that get them to think that maybe it wasn't exactly a fire that caused these children to disappear. So uh, a woman claimed to see the children in a car driving away while the fire was still burning. Hmm. She saw this car leaving the solder property with five children in the back seat, looking out the back window. Uh, 15 miles, miles west, uh, a woman who operated a tourist attraction claimed that she saw the children. She says, I served them breakfast there was a car with a Florida license plate at the tourist court, too. Um, death certificates were issued by the county coroner's office, and George used a bulldozer to cover up the remains of the house to create, says to create a memorial. But what I heard something that's a little more believable was that um, the city wanted him to cover it up because of the basement. They didn't want it to be a hazard, so he had to fill in all of the area um, in order for it to be safe. So, uh, but soon after, George and Jenny became suspicious of their children's death. Uh, A witness to the fire said that they saw a man removing a block and tackle from the scene, uh, usually used to remove engines from cars. So somebody was carrying around a block and tackle uh, they think that might have been the reason why the cars didn't start was that he had tampered with them. Uh, when they were clearing the area, Sylvia Sauter found a hard rubber object in the yard uh, that may have caused the loud noise that woke Jenny up. George believed that it was a piece of a napalm pineapple bomb. 
So that's what they believe hit the roof and rolled off. Uh, so Jenny would experiment over time uh, burning animal bones and they would always leave remains. She would burn these animal bones at different temperatures, intensities. Uh, she was just trying to get some answers. Uh, so she talked to a crematory and the crematory said that bones are left behind even after bodies are burned at 2000 degrees for two hours. And the solder house only burned for 45 minutes. And like I said, they found household appliances in the rubble, but never any bone fragments. A woman uh, in a Charleston hotel said that she saw the children. Uh, the children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. Uh, I do not remember the exact date. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to the children. I sensed that I was being frozen out, so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. Mm -hmm. So um, a few years later, George saw a photo of uh, New York City school children in the newspaper, and he thought one of the children looked like his daughter, Betty. So he drove all the way to New York to investigate. Uh, and when he tracked down the girl's uh, parents, the parents of this girl refused to talk to him. So um, another strange thing that I did hear was that uh, George's business had also been broken into the night of the fire which I thought was very strange that someone would know that he would have been distracted by this fire and would take advantage of the situation. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, whole thing that wasn't mentioned in some of the documentaries, but um, I actually watched an interview with, um, let me look it up with, I'm so sorry. Sounds like Jenny, uh, Jenny Hanthorn. So I watched an interview uh, or listened to an interview as a podcast. The podcast <laughs> is called Most Notorious. And Jenny Hanthorn is actually the daughter of Sylvia Sauter. Uh, and she, so she is the grandchild of George and Jenny. And she was the one that said that the business had been broken into the same night. Uh, the family use their fruit stand as a shelter for a while after and eventually would go on and rebuild a house and stay in Fayetteville for quite some time. Uh, and they never lost hope. Um, but continuing on, in 1947, George and Jenny tried to get the FBI involved, who did offer to help, but the Fayetteville police and fire department refused to help the investigation. So they hired a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley, which is one of those great, uh, great Hollywood, you know, names. I mean, C.C. Tinsley. Yeah, you have to case. be a private investigator, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Tinsley, see? Uh, <laughs> C.C. Tinsley discovered that the member of the coroner's jury that decided the fire was an accident was the same guy who was the life insurance salesman that threatened them. So, hmm, Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tinsley interviewed the townspeople rumors of uh, the that the fire chief found a heart in the ashes 
that he had hidden in a box and buried uh, they, and then later dug it up and it was discovered that it was a beef liver and he had done this somehow to, uh, it was very confusing. Like he, he explained that he had done it to bring the family some sort of closure. So he was pretending like it was uh, like a piece of a body found on the property, but it wasn't, it didn't belong from a human at all. Uh, but that was just a rumor that had come up. So I don't know how much weight that has. Uh, on In August of 1949, the Sodders hired a pathologist named Oscar B. Hunter to excavate the dirt fa- found on the property. Uh, they found four human vertebrae and they sent them to the Smithsonian for analysis. It came back that they belonged to a 16 or 17 year old person, which was older than one of the missing children. Mm. No evidence that the bones had been exposed to fire. Uh, And they believed that the bones were there from the dirt that uh, George had placed on top of the remains of the house. That's weird. Yeah. I just picked some dirt to fill in a thing and it happened to have four human vertebrae in it. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. Um... After the Smithsonian's finding, Governor uh, Oki L. Patterson uh, called a hearing in the state capital of Charleston, West Virginia, and officially declares the case closed. Mm. George and Jenny set up a billboard on Route 16, and it remained there for 40 years. But the billboard has a picture of the five missing children, and it says, After 30 years, it is not too late to investigate. On Christmas Eve, 1945, our home was set afire and five of our our children, ages five through 14, kidnapped. The officials blamed uh, defective wiring, although lights were still burning after the fire started. Official reports stated that the children died in the fire. However, no bones were found in the residue and there was no smell of burning flesh during or after the fire. What was the motive of the law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer all these years of injustice? Why did they lie and force us to accept those lies? But basically they're very much upset with how the case was handled and uh, believe that it, I mean, that something, something is being hidden. So in 1968, Jenny received uh, an envelope ad- addressed to her and her alone, not to the family. In the envelope, there was a photograph in the mail, which is actually this photograph right here. So these are the five children, and she received this photograph in the mail. There was no return address and it was postmarked Kentucky. It was a photograph of a man in his mid-20s and they believed that it could be their son, Lewis. On the back, it said, Lewis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, little boys, with some a letter and some numbers. It said A10932 or 35, which they don't know what that means. So they did, hired a detective to investigate, and the detective went to Kentucky, 
but then they never heard from the detective ever again. Really? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, George Sauter passed away the very next year in 1969, and Jenny passed away in 1989. They died believing that their children were still alive out there. Uh, the family does ask if anybody has any information on this. They know anything about the Sauter family at all that they bring their information to websleuths.com. And that is the very sad story of the Sauter family. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so they hired a private detective. He went down to Kentucky and never like responded or was like, did they find out if he died or is it just Uh, from what I was saw on the various documentaries I watched, he was just, he had disappeared and he never contacted them again. So who knows what happened there? Hmm. So I did get most of my information from, what did I say? The podcast, uh, most notorious. They do an episode. The episode's called, the 1945 Sauter Family Tragedy with Jenny Hanthorn, a true crime history podcast. Uh, it's an actual interview with her. And oh, wow. she she does the interview because she wants the information out there and she wants uh the she wants this to be solved. But she did go on to say that her family was a very loving family, even though this was very traumatic. They still would celebrate Christmas. They still tried to make it a fun time, and they were a very close, loving family. Uh, Her mother is Sylvia, who was the youngest. She was two at the time of the fire, so her mother doesn't have very much memory of what went on. Uh, I also got some of my information from Wikipedia. BuzzFeed Unsolved does a great episode on this as well as top mysteries on youtube was my other source nice yeah that's definitely a strange one in my opinion so it's seeming that because of their political views they were they were targeted um and yeah it's interesting though if you're going to target a family that you would take half the kids or, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's. An... So, okay. So this is my theory. What happened is that they threw the bomb onto the roof. The roof made a loud noise uh, and the bomb obviously rolled off starting the fire. When the children were playing in the living room, they, ha- they heard like a loud noise or I guess they weren't, they might not have been playing in the living room, but they were either taken before the bomb was thrown or at some point they ran out to the front yard thinking that, Oh, it's Santa on the roof or whatever reason. Uh, And because maybe some people were lighting the place on fire, they're like, Oh no, we need to get rid of these kids and either took them away to be killed somewhere else or took them to be sold. Uh, Around this time. And still to this day, there are these underground, you know, networks of, you know, trafficking children. And uh, there were a lot of accounts afterwards of seeing these kids being taken. So who knows, you know, 
um, there wasn't much proof that they were in the house during the fire. So it's very interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. So that's my uh, Christmas story for you guys. What do you got for us, Jameson? Um, well, we're going to go with a little bit more fantasy than reality on this okay. one. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, that was good. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad it wasn't. Um, I, I was again. I was thinking of a story that happened here in LA, and I'll have to kind of look into that a little bit more. But it was like you know, killing everybody with a Santa suit on kind of thing. So it was kind of like yeah. I did look that one up, and I was yeah. There's I not much to the story. story. Think, right? What? There's not much to that story. I mean, he just kind of was just lost his mind. Killed like he he it was what in Malibu or something, right? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, I thought you said that you read up on it, so no worries. No, was, uh, no I like uh, barely skimmed over it, but then when I saw that this was one of the stories, I was actually very familiar with this story, and I was like, I have to do that one. Oh yeah, no, 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 definitely. I mean, there seems like there's a way more of a mystery. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that was a. I'm pretty sure that was Santa Ana. Santa Ana, okay, but yeah, it was right on like Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Went into shotgun, dressed like Santa. Killed like the mom, yeah. the daughter, or something like that. That kind of bullshit. Well, he, he killed uh, this woman that he had the hots for and tried asking her out, and she said no. So, oh, well, there you go. The what Covina Massacre. Oh, okay, there you go. Covina, okay. There you go. He killed the kid or something like that. Didn't he kill a couple people and himself or something? Uh, the Covina Massacre okay. occurred on December 24th, 2008, in Covina, a city the suburbs of Los Angeles, nine people were killed by either by gunshot wound or and in an arson fire inside a house at 1129 East Knollcrest Drive, where a Christmas Eve party was being held. Oh, I'm not man. Sure this is the one that you're talking about. Maybe. Does, he, does it say anything about him wearing a Santa suit? I don't know. Let's open the Wikipedia and see what it said. Uh, the perpetrator, 45-year-old Bruce Jeffrey Pardo, who had entered the house wearing a Santa suit, died from a self-inflicted gunshot to the head at his brother's residence in the early hours of the morning after the attack. Authorities cited marital problems as the possible motive for the violence. Uh, reports indicated that Pardo's divorce had been finalized on December 18th, one week before the massacre. Three people, including Pardo's ex-wife and his former in-laws, were initially declared missing, pending identification of their bodies. Mm. That's horrible. There, yeah. you, there you go. Yeah, I remember hearing about that one out here. That was that's a pretty awful story. Um, but yours is definitely a lot more mysterious. There's a lot more like uh, drama and suspense in your story as far as just a lot of, like you said, you know, that, that's a, that's a story of its time kind of thing because you know the whole Mussolini thing and you know, yeah, it's pretty interesting and and not surprising. I mean, you're in you're in Virginia, you know, and that's a yeah, you know, they're they're very uh, saying anything bad and just like you know, just those Virginians, <laughs> these Virginia, you know, it's like yeah, you're talking about yeah, Mussolini's a great guy, and you're like. Who the f- what are you talking about? Yeah. This is America. Yeah. You don't talk like well, that. Well, he was he was anti-Mussolini, and most of the neighborhood and the Italians in that neighborhood were pro-Mussolini. So oh, Mussolini, he was anti-Mussolini? I thought yeah. was, I thought it sounded like you were saying he was pro-Mussolini. Like, oh no, no. People didn't like he, what he was he, saying. 
he criticized Mussolini. And then when Mussolini fell, everyone was sore about it. And he was kind of like, you know, ha And then all of this happened. So. so, and you said that one of the people that was seen with the kids, seen with the kids was Italian, Italian looking, right? So. Yeah. So, That's what, what they've assumed is that <clears throat> somebody who was Italian took the kids. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, yeah. So, like I said, I my I, I went a little bit more. Uh, I'm sticking with the Christmas theme and and scariness and freakiness. But um, I went with Krampus. I went with the story of Krampus and who? Yay. What Kramp, Krampus? 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 Krampus. You want to say it like an American? Damn it! Say it like Krampus. But <laughs> uh, he's got a lot of different names. Uh, Perched in Lof, Klaubof, Krampus. There's a lot of history behind it. So let's delve into this guy. This isn't really a story per se. It's more of just kind of, I kind of, I grouped it into like the origin of it where, you know, facts about him, uh, what he looks like, but there's not really a story that leads up to like where he came from, but the way that it, uh, and I got my information here uh, from uh, Smithsonian, from fairy tale traveler, Britannica, uh, Wikipedia and Vox. So, and there was a few other things on YouTube and whatnot. Um, so what I'm getting from Krampus is that basically, uh, the, the countries that it's coming from is the, is the Germanic area. Uh, you got Bavaria, Germany, um, uh, Italy, that kind of area over there. Um, mostly in Germany though, is, is where it seems to have really come from. Um, and, and they have St. Nick which is for us, uh, obviously Santa Claus, we say St. Nick, um, but, but their St. Nick is kind of like all good. And our, our Santa Claus obviously kind of embodies both of that. He knows when you're naughty or nice. So it, it sounds like they've kind of fused those two uh, beliefs into one for us, one super, super uh, icon for us for the Christmas season. And from what I can gather, Krampus is kind of like the, the yang to St. To Nick's yin. Okay, so you have your good and your evil, all right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's it, this story has been any around for anywhere from five hundred to fifteen hundred years long ago. Basically, um, they don't have uh, you know proof of when it officially started, but uh, again, kind of going back to what we were talking about with uh, pagan uh, rituals being uh, enveloped by Christianity and whatnot, um, a lot of those beliefs they think come from that. So let's go, let's go with the looks first so you guys can kind of get a visual of what I'm talking about here. Okay. Um, always a big character, you know, six, seven, eight feet tall, um, massive horns, different, doesn't really matter what the horns look like, but always just big horns. Um, he's got, he's hairy. He's, 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 um, black, black or brown matted hair, half man, half goat, half demon ish. I shouldn't even say man. Let's forget man. Half goat, half demon. <laughs> He's got the cloven hoof. They said that sometimes that he has, he does have one human foot, which I thought was odd, but uh, one, one, <laughs> and one cloven foot. I thought that was kind of interesting. Huh. But it must be hard uh, to walk like that. Yeah, right. It's kind of got the weird <laughs> thing going on. Just, just one click. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just one click. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he's usually seen with like a, like a, like a sack or basket on his back, um, to put the kids into, 
Um, let's see here. What else? Sharp fangs, really big teeth, sharp, sharp fangs, long tail, wanted long pointed tongue. Maybe not like as Wong, like we talked about last week with the really super long tongue, but you know, a Gene Simmons type thing going on. Mm-hmm. Like a forked tongue there. Um, has carries with him a rutin, R-U-T-E-N, a rutin, which is a, like a, a, a bundle of um, birch branches. All right. Um, tied up uh, in the parades. He has a cowbell on uh, or chains, something like that. So kind of going with that father Christmas thing with the chains and stuff. Um, so, and just, just really, really scary looking. Okay. So now you got that in your head, big, you know, goat monster thing with the basket on it. And basically what the story, what the story is, is that he, he, he comes in the night before St. Nick day. Okay. So we're pretty close to the day. We just missed it actually, but on um, December 5th or December 6th, excuse me, is um, St. Nicholas feast. Okay. I have it like St. Nicholas day or whatever. And I celebrate it. Now I don't think that's necessarily Christmas, but they consider it. it it's considered St. Nicholas day. The night before December 5th is when uh, they have this, uh, this celebration for Krampus where he shows up. So a lot of times they'll have a kind of a parade or something. And now it's turned into like a, a big, almost like a festival. So, you know, we were talking earlier about how Halloween is, is your favorite, uh, your favorite time. And you were talking about Patrick, you were talking about uh, ghosts being kind of connected with this. Well, it's almost as if uh, this area of the, of the world celebrates like a, like a second, you know, nightmare before Christmas kind of thing, second Halloween, whatever leading into Christmas. And so they, they have a big party and it's all about scaring the crap out of the kids. It's all about, you know, Krampus is coming for all the naughty kids. He gets you, he's going to whip you with these birch sticks and you're, he's going to throw you into the sack and take you away. And it's never really established what he does when he takes you away. Sometimes he, sometimes he eats you. Sometimes he just takes you to the cave where he lives, but you're gone. And it's the after party that he's taking. Yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> after party oh um so yeah so you get taken away you've been a bad kid um and and you're gonna pay for your for your you know for your i don't want to say crimes but your bad behavior is gonna because krampus takes away those kids uh saint nick would leave coins in the shoes uh and you know for us it's coal uh for them if you found the birch stick in your uh in your uh, shoe you were getting whipped by mom and dad or krampus himself so it wasn't a good sign to get the uh, the birch sticks in your in your boots. Um, where does the story come from? Um, it, it's it's basically like I said, native to the Austria, Germany, Slovenia, Hungary, Czech Republic area. So it's very very big in that area. Um, but they think that they think that it um, it's a pre it comes from pre Germanic paganism basically. Uh, Krampen. Kramp, Krampen in German, by the way, means claw. So he's always got the big sharp claws and everything. So right off the bat, his name is not, not cute. The uh, claw. The claw. <laughs> um, he supposedly is the son of the Norse god Hel, um, who uh, I, the Norse god of the underworld, and his, um, the dad's name was Hel, so he's the son of Hel. Uh, but that's only with one L, H-E-L. Um, so they think that that's where his care, that's kind of like where his origin comes from or where, where, uh, they came up with the name. 
Um, but Catholic churches, they were aware of this when, when they kind of came around, they, they were aware of this whole celebration of him and they really tried to, uh, to lock down this belief in it. They really tried, they, they, they tried to ban the celebration in the 12th century. Didn't really work. It wasn't a lot of, um, people listening to the church at that time. And so they decided to kind of just blow it off. Um, but yeah, basically you have this, you have this, this belief coming up that basically it's there to scare kids, you know, um, kind of like the, you know, Santa knows if you're not you're nice kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's just a lot more scary and evil looking, uh, character, uh, than we, you know, we've obviously made him into a nice fat jolly guy and, uh, he'll get some coal and that's about it. Um, this guy will straight up take you away and eat you. So a lot of kids, uh, not, de- not, not doing so well with that. Um, let's see here. Yeah. Like I said, December 5th is Krampus night, December 6th. Uh, you basically are waiting to see if you're going to get presents or pain, as they said on St. Nicholas day, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny that they put it that way. Uh, they have the Krampus loft, which is the Krampus run. Um, it was basically kind of in, used to disperse winter ghosts. Um, the people would come out and they would clang on these bells and shake these chains and dress up. And um, it was just kind of to, it was like a winter solstice kind of thing, you know, they're celebrating and trying to scare away these winter ghosts. And uh, it basically just have, like I said, it's grown into kind of a party now. Um, I think in the late, they were saying in the late 20th century, uh, to preserve their cultural heritage, they started coming up with these Krampus runs to just kind of keep the story going and make it maybe more of a tourism thing or something like that. Um, but now the, these these parties are, like I said, kind of out of control here. It's it, it was definitely a really interesting story to kind of read about it and to kind of almost like a Mardi Gras for wedged between Halloween and Christmas. And uh, it seems like that would be a lot of fun if you if you uh, if you went. <laughs> Little, little kids with a Krampus there. One nice. and says, I'm the nice one. And the other kid gets and I'm naughty. <laughs> so, um, and then it looks like, you know, kind of more, uh, if you go to for the older folklore, here he is, you know, he's, he's got the kids all chained up and kind of ready to take them back with him to, he's got the, got the cloven feet there and, you know, the horns and whatnot. So nice. All the bad kids are all lined up. So. You know, when I was when I was in, uh, I visited a, 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 an island that was ruled by the Dutch, and while I was there, it was around Christmas time. So I saw uh, a movie poster with their version of Santa Claus and uh, his elves and whatnot. And when I looked closer, it looked like the characters had blackface on, and I couldn't understand what was going on. So when I when I went to delve into it, their their Santa Claus looks more like a pope. Um, he's also Saint Nick as well, but. He's red robes and stuff, but he has more of a Pope style hat. He has the white beard and the glasses, but his, his um, Santa suit is more of like a robe. Uh, he has the staff and everything. So he looks very like very church esque um, for their St. Nick. Now his, his elves, similar story, uh, kind of like Krampus where um, uh, when he comes around, the kids leave snacks in their shoes. I think they leave it for the, for his, for St. Nick's reindeer they put like plants in their shoes or something like this. Uh, but uh, these the same thing, the bad kids that um, uh, are bad, they get taken away and <clears throat> they get forced to work in the coal mines. And so all of his elves have coal dust on their face. And that's why they have the black face on because they're not mm-hmm. 
pretend like they're black. They're just saying, oh, I'm a bad kid and I was stuck working in the coal mines for St. Nick uh, and this is my punishment. They're all dressed very nicely. They, Like I said, they they look like, uh, earlier I said to you, I think last week, they look like the beef eater guy. If you've ever seen the beef eater gin guy with the very fancy, you know, old English uh, puffy kind of shirts and stuff, they look like that. So they have different colors, green, blue, red. So they're very dressed nicely with these ruffles and all these things, but then they have blackface on. And it's because of the coal that they're working on. But it, it's a very, uh, again, kind of similar tradition to what we have, but because it's older and more religious, it's it's kind of more based on that. So again, the concept of taking kids away from their families if they're if they're bad or or uh, need to be punished or whatever, uh, you know, you better watch out. These kids, these guys are going to get you. The the La Llorona of Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's Krampus, and uh, nice. I mean. It, I, I do encourage you to, to look at some videos online. I saw some the guy making masks and he was very serious about it. He said, um, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to make a Krampus mask and my, my dad wouldn't let me, he didn't have the money. So I learned how to carve my own mask. And now that's his business. Is he just, he's like, I don't oh, wow. pick a, a name, you know, the mask, uh, what was he saying? Something like the mask matches the, the wearer. I make the mask for the person. So that's his hmm. job. He just sits there. And I mean, like, you know, I saw some pictures where these people had horns that were like seven feet tall coming around and you know they're walking down the street shaking the chains and everybody's just kind of standing there watching them but they're coming up and messing with the kids and stuff and it's it definitely looks like it'd be a lot of fun if you were there and having a good time that's awesome Awesome. yeah i would love to do that that sounds cool yeah and it's right up your alley because it's like i said it's kind of a halloween thing but you're still towing the line of christmas stuff oh yeah yeah you know and you get some pretty crazy masks and you're in Europe. All adults, you know, they're all like 30 year old guys that are like putting these costumes on and <laughs> just totally buying into the whole Krampus thing. So very interesting. It'd be neat to pick up a cramp a Krampus mask, you know, to go over there and get like an official, you know, probably like a three, four hundred dollar mask uh that's been carved. But that's I, I, sweet. Uh, that's awesome. Pretty, yeah, like I said, there's some pretty bitching masks that I saw that I was impressed with. So when I'm allowed to have parties again, I'll throw a big Krampus party here. That would be cool. So we should do like a Krampus ball where everybody has to wear Krampus masks. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I mean, there's some pretty pretty big doozies out there. Um, you know, they, it's made its way into our pop culture a little bit, obviously, with the Krampus movie. I think there's even a sequel to it, if I'm not mistaken. A sequel came out. Um, but they were talking about some other television shows and stuff whatnot that had kind of slightly referenced it or taken their own spin on it like american dad and the office and whatnot so mm-hmm. oh that's right american dad did a good good uh representation i like that. yeah <laughs> so yeah so pretty cool character uh if you want to look that up check it out krampus highly recommended especially if you're a halloweeny nightmare before christmas type person where you don't want to buy totally into the whole you know everything is great christmas kind of stuff yeah, that's true well, also now we know that telling ghost stories is a part of Christmas. So, absolutely, you can tell your family. A lot of kids has been part of it all along too. But yeah, that that's yeah. I, God, I would love to do like a Krampus march or a maze or parade. Or we anything. just missed it. It was on like Friday night. Uh, so we kind of need to see if they did like. I mean, obviously the way the way things are with COVID, they probably canceled it this year. But um, you know, we just yeah. so it would have been pretty neat to see uh, how that went. Yeah, it would be cool um all right pat what do you got for us so before we start i want to see if you guys recognize this song at all (laughs) 
song is called Stagger Lee by Stagger Lee. Okay. Stagger Lee by Lloyd Price. Okay. Uh, and, and that, was, that was the first time this song was uh, mentioned. But if you didn't know, this is actually one of the most um, recreated songs in music history. Oh, wow. Um, it's been created over 400 times. Um, oh, wow. And Stagger Lee is actually, if you guys were listening to the lyrics, you know, it's actually about uh, a man named Stagger Lee. Um, and Stagger Lee was based on a man uh, named Lee Shelton. And he got the term, uh, a lot of people think he got Stagger Lee or st uh, from, they thought he, because he always went stag, he was always going solo. Um, mm. Other people think that because he worked uh, in Mississippi on a ship, on a stack ship, so it was stack only, um, nobody really knows for sure. Um, but one evening, um, Christmas evening, actually, 1895, um, Stagger Lee and his, uh, I, sh I forgot to mention, actually, Stagger Lee is, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a part of the group known as the Max. Um, so I don't know if you can guess what Stagger Lee does as a profession. But the Max were known as a group that dressed in very flashy suits and were pimps. I don't know if you guys could catch that. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, they or were, I don't know pimp lingo. Yeah. You know. The Max. I mean, I don't know what else he could have been doing. M A C K S. Yes, like return up the Mac. Um, <sighs> Mac the knife. Mac the Knife, yeah, there you go. 1895, Missouri. So he was uh, technically, he's um, uh, credited as a, as a carriage driver. Uh, that's his uh, profession, but he was known as like, he was a big pimp uh, in the area. Mm. Um, so anyway, Stag, uh, Stagger Lee decides to uh, hang out with his friend, Billy Lyons. And he's apparently a big, um, um, he's a big, uh, affluent politician i guess you know at the time and they're hanging out drinking have a good time and then they get into like a political dispute um and billy decides to take his hat and you don't touch a pimp's hat um so so he decides to take um billy decides to take his hat and he wasn't really excited about that and he told him like hey give me my hat back he, they were drunk, you know, he didn't. So he actually shoots him in the abdomen. Um, then he passes away later on that night around 10 o'clock. They do um, arrest him, but they uh, let him go. And it was really because there was a lot of uh, uh, political pressure at the time. He was uh, apparently a big Democrat and had the political backing in the area so they let him go but unfortunately he went back to prison uh for another murder um and that was for 25 years he stayed mm. unfortunately in 1912 he did die from tuberculosis but yeah there was the, it was uh, just because it was done on christmas eve but yeah, Stagger Lee has now been recreated yeah it said over two or sorry over 400 times 
Now, what do you mean by recreated? Like they they re, like they covered the song, or you- it's there, there's a oh, cover, yeah, there's covers, two. but I'm, I mean they recreated as in they retold his story. Um, so some of them are covers, you know, but they it's it couldn't be recreated because a lot basically it's been told in every genre of music as well. So some of them are blues grass covers some of them are rap songs some of them are um some i think the grateful dead has but has a stagger lee song if i read so you're saying that it's it's like they they took the lyrics and kind of or just like the framework the story okay that's what i was saying yeah they basically took the story of the stagger lee killing his friend on christmas on christmas eve okay so now funny enough for me when you said Stagger Lee, I, yeah. my brain went to a song that I heard. So have you guys ever heard of a movie called Black Snake Moan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I saw that movie in the theater when it came out. The movie is like whatever to me, but one of my favorite parts in the movie is actually when Samuel Jackson goes to a bar and sings a song at the bar. And I like the song so much that I found, I, you know, I, when I looked up and found out they actually had it on the soundtrack and I, and I downloaded the song. This is like 15 years ago. I downloaded the song and the song is called stack o lee hmm. so i was it's the same yeah it has to do with it and then you said billy lyons and as soon as you said that that's part of the lyrics he says you know th- that that guy billy lyons walks in and i shot him you know i shot him with my bullets and you know what i mean so it's that's the song mm-hmm. he walked in he's like i put nine of my bullets in his motherfucking chest you know and and it's samuel jackson singing the song so if you ever want to hear samuel jackson sing a blues that that's it's really good yeah black snake moan stack ali uh it's it's fun listening to it. it you know he makes the song fun it's definitely samuel jackson uh, another reason they uh recreated the song too was because uh there was a song earlier um god what i, I just gotta find that um there was a song that came out earlier that um basically was born out of the ragtime genre but it wasn't, you know, that was before, you know, people really knew to publish their music and stuff like that. So it was really just sung as like, you know, everybody knew the song. And there was this one uh, madam that worked at a big, uh, like a brothel, and she was known for singing it. But this guy who was uh, a white sports writer, he was also a musician too. But he heard the song and then decided to take the song and rewrote it and he published it uh, himself. So uh, later on, it was it was a good song, you know, obviously, but later on they turned it into this Broadway musical and it was obviously racist because of there was things in there that shouldn't come from a white musician, you know, so it got a lot of backlash from it, from uh, the black community. So mm-hmm. Stagger Lee was also, that's kind of a lot of why people think that it's uh, recreated a lot is because of kind of like, uh, the, this was a person that people sometimes think like the Stetson hat was the issue was that, you know, you're stepping on someone's property, you know, and like he had to take it back. And it, I don't know, it's this whole big thing, but that's that's uh, one of the theories that people think it's been recreated so often. But also Lloyd Price, I mean, that's a great song, you know, the music's great in it as well. So, yeah, it's funny because like you may not know the song, but you do in a way like, you know, you know what parts of the song. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I've never heard this, but I know it's going to go right here or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because that song structure is there. Like how old, when was that recorded? You said um, that one. 
don't know. Don't know. Okay. Sorry. It was just a, just an example of the song you were using, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it yeah. sounds like that sounded like 1940s blues. You it's, know? Yeah, it's earlier than the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was uh, interesting. So the song was recorded. What did, what was the tie reference to to it being a holiday thing? What was the re- the tie? Um, it was on Christmas Christmas Day. The murder happened the on Christmas Day. Happened on Christmas Day. Yeah. Got it. He shot him on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Got it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That song oh. I said fifteen years I've liked that song. So that's funny. Mm-hmm. Cool story behind it. I you know of course I the way he tells it it sounds just like kind of like a quick story you know. Well, especially like in the the song we were just listening to, it's like, it's so happy and joyous, you know, it doesn't really sound like it's based on, you know, two guys actually getting into a fight and someone shooting him in the stomach over a hat. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's definitely weird. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Daco Lee. Sager Lee. Oh, Lee. Well, yeah, that's the end of our stories here. Hope everyone has a great holiday. Christmas stories. Christmas season. Hollywood's oh no. Hollywood's so Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast is the collective work of the owners and employees of the Hollywood Haunted Tours and is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, and share. Uh, and don't forget to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash podcast. That is the only place other than Facebook Live to see these wonderful videos of our uh, wonderful broadcasts and recordings. So check it out. You can also get t-shirts and stickers and cool merch that we have there as well. For more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at hollywoodshaunted.com. And if you have any questions or suggestions or want to send us some really cool stories, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com.